This is Linda Rodriguez McRobbie, editor in chief of the Periscope Post. And this is Archie Thomas, managing editor of the Periscope Post. Each week, we bring you the stories that everyone's talking about. Uh, this week, of course, the end of the Olympics and the potential beginning of Boris Johnson's path to Downing Street. Mitt Romney has chosen his running mate, Wisconsin Rep. Paul Ryan. Uh, why both liberals and conservatives are happy about this. Benedict Cumberbatch says there's too much posh bashing go around, going around, and he's thinking about emigrating. Cosmo editor Helen Gurley-Brown died this week at the age of 90. And Melbourne, Australia, is the most livable city on the planet, not, surprisingly, London. Um, so that's what we're talking about this week. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Let's start talking about the closing ceremonies. I thought it was brilliant, but it sounds like a lot of Twitter users and actually a lot of people on my Facebook feed disagreed. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I, I wasn't such a big fan, but I did notice at the time there were a lot of people sniping on Twitter and Facebook, and then the coverage the next morning in the mainstream media was, was much more positive. So there was an interesting disparity there in the instant reaction on Twitter and elsewhere, and then and then what what others thought in the morning. So Do you yeah. think this was kind of an issue of, of the British media either buying into the whole magic of the thing or just feeling like they had an obligation to speak well of the closing ceremonies. I think maybe the games. I think maybe there was a there was such goodwill towards the games and there was such a feeling that London hosted it so well and it had been such a great success that no one was quite ready to start sniping, you know, um, on the back of such tremendous performances by Team GB and all of that. So yeah, potentially I think the British media gave it a gave it an easier ride than they may have done. You know, if it, if there hadn't just been these two weeks when the nation had come together so much. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a big success, and um, it seems like at least a few people are reaping the benefits of that, including Boris Johnson, um, who was loudly cheered when he showed up on the screen in the closing Olympic closing ceremonies. Um, and so even his bad dancing was uh, somehow he's everything he does. People seem to not mind. Yeah. Um, and he's yeah he's sort of bomb proof at the moment. He's Every everything he does seems to be endearing. I mean, I'm even getting um, I'm getting texts from my mom in America talking about how much she likes Boris Johnson and she has no experience with yeah, Boris Johnson. There certainly is some sort of bojo bounce, and uh, you know he he has probably been the biggest winner from London 2012 after Jessica Ennis and Mo Farah, and um, you know there's, there's now people on the left and the right. Key commentators such as Jonathan Friedman at the Guardian, Charles Moore at the Telegraph, is saying, you know, it's it's not such a ridiculous idea that Boris Johnson could be not only the next Tory leader, he could also be the next Prime Minister. And there's a lot of people saying that he's got um, Cameron rattled. Do you think, though, that part of the reason why he's enjoying such popularity right now has to do with the fact that he's not an MP? Yeah, I think that he's at a crucial time when, you know, Westminster is is. Is, is very challenged. He's 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 the guy across the Thames. He's he's crucially in the in the wrong place at the right time. If if if, if that makes any sense, I mean, yeah. he's not an MP, so that means he he can't at the moment be the next prime minister. But it's probably better not to be an MP in some way, given the unpopularity of Cameron Osborne and and a lot of these austerity policies. So he's 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 doing well to be in the wilderness at this time, perhaps. Yeah. Well, talking about politics over here and then talking about politics back in America, um, Mitt Romney this week is the uh, uh, Republican presidential candidate. 
launched the latest salvo in the war for the White House, choosing his running mate, Wisconsin rep and self-described young gun, Paul Ryan. Um, Ryan is the guy with the Roadmap to America's Future plan that he put out in 2010, and a lot of people like Sarah Palin got behind. Um, He also has a number of other plans that include changing some of the entitlement programs in America, including Medicare and Medicaid, um, which have made him popular amongst conservatives and the Tea Party types because this is a guy who seems to have a plan to to cut America's budget deficit, um, but not very popular amongst everybody who likes social entitlement pro- uh, programs. So look definitely for the Democrats to go in for the attack there, especially claims that Ryan wants to yank medical care from poor kids and force seniors to pay for their prescriptions and, and all of that. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously a big power move by Romney. I'd be interested, what do you think? Do you think this is a, a savvy move by him? How much is, uh, is Obama going to be concerned by this appointment? What, it, what does it do for the, you know, the nip and tuck, the, the very tight US yeah. presidential race? Does this make it a closer run thing? Does this make, ultimately, does this make Mitt Romney more likely to be the next president of the United States? Well, obviously, the Republicans think so. Um, you know, this was, this was a decision that... It has absolutely electrified the race in a lot of ways. And it's made both liberals and conservatives happy. Conservatives, because finally, you know, up until this point, Mitt Romney really hasn't had a real personality. You know, there was the whole sort of Etch-a-Sketch Romney thing where they kind of implied that he, you know, if, if something didn't work, he would just shake the Etch-a-Sketch and try again with another personality. Um, this you know, choosing Ryan means that he's basically chosen a political position from which to argue. So it grounds Romney. Yeah, it makes him it makes him a more sort of clear sell to conservatives and to others. Um, at the same time, though, Paul Ryan's record isn't unassailable, and and certainly the liberals are happy because now they've got somebody to point to to say, look, see, Romney is going to hurt the middle class. He is going to hurt poor people. He's going to hurt people who, you know, don't fit into his his sort of super wealthy, wealthy um, ideals. So yeah. it'll be interesting, interesting to see how this, how this plays out. I mean, I think that ultimately it'll be about how effective they are at actually being well, able Democrats to score some points. And the, yeah. And, the and you know, um, but speaking of posh, wealthy people, right. uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, who sort of looks like an otter, please go to periscopepost.com to see evidence of that, says that all the posh bashing is so frustrating that he's thinking of emigrating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he came out um, this week in the Radio Times and comments were picked up widely saying that posh bashing had very much got out of hand and, you know, he, he's so sick of it, he's... he's you know he's he's about ready to leave. To to um, people who aren't a big fan of Benedict Cumberbatch, they're like, great, you know, get going. But uh, <laughs> to his fans, you know, they're heartbroken. He has he had he has a very passionate fan base, and uh, they're called the Cumber Bitches, um, <laughs> who are, who are crazy for him. So and it's kicked up a big debate about um, about classism and so-called posh bashing in the UK. Um, I'll just tell you what he told the the Radio Times. He said. Uh, All the posh bashing that goes on has made him consider moving to the US. He says, I wasn't born into land or titles or new money or an oil rig. But um, he says he's been castigated as a moaning rich public school bastard, complaining about only getting posh roles. And he told the magazine, it's just so predictable, so domestic and so dumb. It makes me think I want to go to America. Um, So, yeah, this is this is brought up an issue which isn't maybe talked about that much. The idea that 
that posh people are, are uh, prejudiced against in Victims of of abuse. Absolutely. Well, it does seem to be kind of a relevant discussion, especially after the Olympics when, Mm. when, you know, sports like dressage and and ones that Mm. potentially attract more posh people, sailing, um, (laughs) things like that, are sort of skipped over in the in the triumph in the triumph and olympic narrative in favor of like this kid ran out of the ghettos and straight over the hurdles and yeah. into olympic history um yeah i don't think that anyone's ever you know i don't think dressage is a way out of the ghetto um <laughs> but then the, then there's people saying you know steady on here i mean dawn foster on a, on a, a tweet which was uh, you know spread like wildfire on twitter she said so lucky I was born with a disability on a council estate to an unemployed family. Can't believe to imagine how hard it was for Cumberbatch. So there's a lot of people who say, you know, come on, you've had a lot of opportunities um, that, you know, that have been offered to you as a result of, you know, who you were born to. And, and it, it's a bit rich, you know, no pun intended, you <laughs> complaining about it. So, you know, it, it, the, and respondents to a, um, a poll at uh, The Guardian's comment is free. Um, they were asked, uh, is Benedict Cumberbatch right that posh bashing has gone too far? And uh, with, with a day left to run, something like 65% of the respondents at the moment said, no, it hasn't gone too far, this isn't a big problem. So at the moment, I think the consensus would be that he um, that this isn't such a big problem and he should really stop moaning about it. <laughs> yeah, he might have a point, I don't know. Um, well, in other news, unfortunately, Cosmo editor Helen Gurley Brown died this week. Um, she, her book, Back in the 60s, Sex and the Singer Girl, pretty much ushered in an era of sexual liberation for women in America, um, which is why we can now ask questions like whether reverse cowgirl is better than regular cowgirl. Um, I think it's really difficult to underestimate what she meant to the evolution of the American woman's psyche and certainly the American woman's understanding of sexuality, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but beyond just talking about her about sex, um, her legacy is really one of hard work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, one of the things that, that she, she said, a, um, you know, an example to self-made women in America um, that you know that even if you're from a hard scrabble town, you can you can make it in this world, and that was a, a big thing for her to be saying in the in the 60s and 70s. And um, you know, let's not forget that she worked something like 17 jobs before she achieved her dream of becoming an editor, and that was at the age of 42. Um, and you know, even well into her 80s, she was still you know working long, long days. And uh, you know, she was yeah, it's a legacy of hard work um, is, is one of the, one of the main things, which is perhaps a little bit understated about her. While she did sort of um, liberate a generation and free a generation, she was also, you know, something of the American dream of a self-made woman. Mm-hmm. And she also, uh, <laughs> there was David Plotz at Slate said that Cosmo, which was a magazine she created, uh, was Aaron Brockovich before Aaron Brockovich, dressed like a slut, worked like a champ. Yeah. It is part of that sort of, you know, having it all, um, which was the name of her 1982 bestseller, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, you know, she certainly embodies that that sort of glamorous lifestyle. Um, and she will be missed. Absolutely. And finally, Melbourne, Australia is the most livable city. Um with London clocking in at number 55. Do you agree? 
Yeah, I think that I think that's a bit harsh on London um, after the last couple of weeks. But I think that what a lot of what was factored in here was the the, the impact of the uh, the riots last year, mm. and uh, the, it's from the the Economist magazine's intelligence unit. And um, I think it's actually the livability is is an indication to companies about about you know effectively housing their employees in this country. So anything like a uh, you know a worrying crime rate brings you right down. But I think the the fact that so many Australian cities are in the top twenty is is interesting. I think Brisbane and Perth and a number of other countries are in there and, and some Canadian ones as well. Um, the one thing I did learn from that list is that supposedly the worst city to live in in the world is Abidjan in the Ivory Coast. So um, I don't know if any of our listeners have been there, but we'd love to know um, what that's like. So, you know. So please go to periscopepost.com and check out the story on that and leave a comment. Well, thanks very much for listening this week and we hope to see you next week. Have a good week.